All right, guys. Uh, hey, I, I, I don't know if this is working or not. I can't tell what I'm doing here. You know, huh? Hey, we got a theme tonight: Pirates of Ham Radio. Uh, I, I can't tell. Glenn, is it on right or it's messed up? I can't. Oh, it looks just absolutely fine, Tom. I, I can't tell, guys. Hey, yeah. hey, guys. Uh, hey, just open the show up. I got a new eye this week. Uh, cataract surgery. Getting another new eye here in about a week. Uh, and uh, t- so tonight the theme is uh, Pirates of Ham Radio, not Pirates like, you know, radio waves, but, you know, the make the sound, Glenn. Arrgh. There, you, there you go. Okay. All right. I can't, I can't stand this. Oh, oh, man. I couldn't stand it. Oh, gee. Woo. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Amateur Radio Roundtable. This is a show about ham radio, shortwave, electronics, uh, anything kind of, you know, like that. And uh, we, uh, we welcome you, uh, especially if you're out there listening on shortwave, international shortwave on WBCQ on 7490. We'd love to hear from you. You know, many of us got our start as shortwave listeners, and that's what led us into uh, ham radio. So, uh, We'd love to hear from you. Send me an email to tom at w5kub.com, tom at w5kub.com. If you will, uh, uh, hit the subscribe button. We'd really like you to hit that subscribe button. I'm giving you a little hint right there where it is. It's down here in that bottom corner somewhere. That arrow ought to help you find it. Hit the subscribe button, and that will greatly help us. Hit the like button. That helps us, too. and uh, even hit hey hit the notify bell because sometimes we've got some stuff in between Tuesday nights that we might put up and uh, we'd love to have you. Boy, I messed my hair up. Look at that. Okay, uh, join our Facebook group. Uh, our Facebook group is called W5KUB. It's actually called Amateur Radio Roundtable, but that's too much to type in. Just type in in the search bar W5KUB, and you will uh, uh, you'll come up with our our uh, Facebook group. 14,000 hams and shortwave listeners in that group. We'd love to have you. All you got to do is just click on uh, W5KUB on Facebook. We'll make you a member of that group there. And, uh, again, if you will, let's see. I've got some pictures here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, I've already mentioned shortwave. We're on 7490. Uh, on, uh, on Thursdays, our show is repeated on, on uh, WBCQ on 7490 kilohertz. So if you're listening to this on shortwave, it's somewhere on Thursday afternoon between 5 and actually 7 p.m. Uh, uh, Eastern Time. We're on every uh, podcast carrier out there, iNet Radio, iTunes, uh, uh, Tumblr, Google Play, uh, you name it. Uh, we're on there. You can find us, and uh, our show is on there every week for you to listen to uh, online, or you can download it if you want to. Uh, so, uh, let's see, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't sure we were going to be able to have a show this week, and then, uh, let's see, uh, next week might be okay, the week after, I don't know, I get my other eye done, uh, a couple, in a couple weeks, actually in about 10 days, uh, so I don't know how I'll be doing then, but, uh, I wasn't sure we'll have the show tonight, but hey, I'm doing fine, uh, I'm seeing great out of this eye. Uh, my new eye there, it's like it's a brand new eye, man. I mean, I'm seeing, I mean, I can see a gnat, a gnat on something. I don't know. I saw a gnat the other day on something. He was 100 yards away, and I could see that gnat. But anyway. Well, did, do you, did they give you the one that has the zoom and the sound effects? 
the zoom and the sound effects. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Well, look at your receipt. Did your receipt say anything like six million dollars or three? No, million I didn't. Dollars? No, I didn't. I didn't get that, Glenn. I I just got the I just got the basic hookup, man. Oh man. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, hey guys, oh, uh, show's going on. Hey, we got some uh, people that uh, contacted me this week uh, to uh, help out and uh, have some uh, some segments here with us. We've got. Uh, 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 one of our friends on here tonight, uh, Alan uh, Glasser, is with us tonight from uh, the New York area. We're going to be talking with him in a few minutes. Uh, 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 Bill W8LV, man, I really appreciate him. He's he's got something he sent in. He didn't really want to be on the show tonight. I, you know, I probably hadn't. I don't know. Anyway, he don't want to be on the show tonight, but he sent us a video to play, and it's uh, it's about mobile amateur radio, cheap and easy. And, man, does he show you how to do it cheap and easy? We're going to do that. Uh, the last, oh, we'll see. And then, and then after that, I'm going to talk to you about a new project I'm starting. Yeah, maybe not, but it's electronics, and it's it's radio. It's marketing. It's got a lot to do with what we, we like to do. So I'm going to talk a little about that and show you a piece of test equipment I got in uh, got in uh, this week to help me with that. This is a, a tester that, man, this thing does everything. I'm going to show you about that. I got a receiver here. Uh, I'm going to tell you how you can get into KU Band Satellite for about $150 total, and, and you'll get like, 500 channels up here, okay? All right, we're going to talk a little about that. Give you an update on 113, W5KB113. Uh, Larry Darrell and his other brother Darrell, uh, they're pretty smart. Uh, it is now becoming summer, and uh, they've crossed the equator. They're in the northern hemisphere now. Now we So that's going to be the world's best uh, digital multimeter from us last week. It's the... He calls it the world's best uh, digital multimeter, and we sent that to him, and, and he got it there. Let's see. Uh, I see somebody said something about the Internet here. Uh, everything, uh, yeah, I'm getting an Yeah, Comcast, you're cutting in and out here. I, I'm doing a oh, They're upgrading this whole area. They've been working all week. Uh, it, uh, I, I didn't think the, the, the speeds were anywhere near where they should be, but it knows Bob. And, That'll be low, and how you doing, Glenn? Oh, we're doing up and down. Hello. Yes, I'm That's here. Not it's working. not switching. Well, you know what? Maybe i got to turn something on here. Let's see. Uh, i got view. Let's see. View nope. speaker. i got Yeah, you're not speaking loud enough. I'm not speaking loud enough. Well, it's uh, turning yellow on Zoom, so it's on your end, dude. All right. Well, anyway, we're looking at uh, Alan there. So go ahead and let's pick Alan up. How you doing, Do Alan, Alan, tonight? First. We'll pick you up first. Okay, I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, bringing me on board tonight, Glenn. Uh, you were sounding okay. As a matter of fact, out here in Brooklyn, I have no problem with the internet. So the audio is great, the pictures are great, and um, I've been watching Tom and and Glenn for I don't know five, six, seven years already on the YouTube, mm. and it's the first time I'm on live. Um, I've learned a lot, and I have something to share with you guys tonight. So thank you for having me on board. Very cool. That's, that's great. All right. Well, Glenn, I think I can force you in here. Uh, You're going to force me I'm going to force you in here. Let's see. All right. See. I, I forced you. Off. Well, I'm I, seeing a piece of me. Well, I don't know what I did, to tell you the truth. Uh, <laughs> seeing a side of me. 
We'll do it that way. We'll do it that Being way. I'll get you in there. Hey, man, so you're smiling tonight, man. You look like you're relieved or something. Well, I just, um, you know, I finished the two books uh, back to back and uh, heard from ARRL just last Friday. We're starting to edit the latest book for them. Uh, I'm going to be hearing from Elector any day, and we're going to start editing that one. So there's a chance that both books will be out for Christmas. But as, as, I, as I was saying in the pre-show, I have no deadlines, nothing that has to happen. So I'm going to take some time and chill and start playing in the lab with new stuff. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's great. I'm glad you're going to have some more time uh, to spend on ham radio now instead of just being an author, man. Oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we'll go there. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I just yeah. got a I just got a text in here, and uh, they said it was probably you that broke the internet when you came on. Oh, I'm sure my cats probably were out digging in the front yard, and <clears throat> you know, bit through a cable. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, you're supposed to get some new internet soon, aren't you? I already have it. I just haven't wired into it yet. Um, yeah. I I switched over to T-Mobile for my main internet. And uh, on my tests, I've got uh, like 200 uh, down and 25 up. That's great. That's uh, great. That's, that's really all you good. need. I just need to uh, change up my, my network in the house here is custom subnets and stuff. And I just need to uh, program up the new router for it and I can switch over. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, I'm good. about to have 200 here probably in a week or two. All right. Yeah. So let uh, me yeah, see. Another message just came in. Let's see. Let's, let's see. Yeah, that was you, you chirping, no, not no, me. No, no, no. This is about the victim's credit card. I guess that's not about us, right? Okay. Yeah. Nope. All, right, all right. All right. So let's do this. Uh, I'm going to see. I'm going to bring me back in here. And uh, I'm going to. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, the, the, this next tip we're going to look at was sent it to us by, uh, by uh, Bill, uh, W8LV. And uh, where's Bill? He's up in, um, Bill's up in Pickaway County. Does that say that right? Pickaway County, Ohio. And uh, hey, if you want to see, he got a nice uh, uh, ham page up. Go to uh, hamqth.com, hamqth.com slash W8LV. And you'll be able to see his page here. Uh, I'm going to bring it up here just real quick and let you see it. But there's a picture of, uh, there's a picture of Bill right there. And, uh, hey, looks like he's uh, got his equipment kind of uh, kind of setting in there pretty neat. You know, he's got a little shelf for everything. I, I need to look at that a little closer there. Uh, let's see what else he's got in here. Uh, yeah, that looks pretty cool. Oh, uh, yeah, hey, hey, he's happy there. Maybe that's a new mic or something. I don't know. Yeah, you guys need to go to this page and, uh, and read about it. Uh, there's a station right there. Uh, Hey, there's a Canadian flag and a U.S. flag. I, I hadn't read all that. Um, oh, he's hmm. got a cat. He's good. Yeah, he's a cat man just like you, it looks like. Cat man just like you. Look at there. Cool. Cool, cool, man. That's why I West can't have Telegraph lines. office. He talks a little bit in here, too, about how he, uh, he got started, I think, on shortwave. And uh, there's a picture of his shack right there. Uh, he's got it laid out pretty nice there. Okay. So you guys, uh, you guys go to uh, go to that, that website. Uh, it's called um, Q. 
it's called uh, hamqth.com yeah, ham slash w8bl. And he sent us a little video, and he's going to talk about how to do mobile amateur radio cheap and easy. And it is cheap and easy what he's done here. Uh, and anybody can do this. You don't have to spend big bucks to have a nice signal on and, and get on get on the radio. And uh, so I'm going to try to uh, pull up uh, this video he sent us. I can find it. Mm. There we go. Right there. Okay, let's look at it. It's about two minutes long. It's not real long. Here we go. My name's W8LD. I'm going to show new people in ham radio how to get on the air mobile for very short money. Here's the installation I use, and this is what it consists of. I have a Baofeng UV, I'm sorry, GT5R, not a UV5R. I have the battery eliminator, it's on the back. I know it looks like a battery, but it's not. You can tell because it's got the cord hanging out of it. And I've got a Baofeng mic. To that I have three tumblers from Walmart or any of the stores. The thin wall ones work better than the coffee ones. I'm going to clip the radio to the tumbler. And finally, I'm going to clip the microphone to the tumbler. That's one way. Another way is you can just set the, the uh, radio right down in the cup. That works fine too. That's generally the way I carry it. You're also going to need one of these. This is the dual band magnetic mount uh, 144 70 centimeter antenna. You'll bring it right through your door. Don't worry about the cord. The window works independently of the frame. And one thing I did notice when I mounted this is that if you use the antenna as a guide, lay it down on its side, line it up with the edge of your car, and then set it upright so that you have at least a 19-inch uh, ground plane It'll work much, much better. The radio costs about $26. The battery eliminator costs about $7. Um, the tumblers cost less than a dollar a piece. I think the microphone was $6. And the antenna was about $20. You can find all these things on Amazon. And of course, you can get the tumblers at Walmart or whatever your local store is. I hope that helps you to get on the air. You don't need a lot of power on VHF, UHF, contrary to what you may have been told by others. You will hit repeaters with no problem at all, and it'll help you enjoy your new hobby. Thanks for your time, and I hope this helps out. 73, W8LV. All right. I want to thank Bill for sending that in. And LV. Yeah. So, hey, you know, that was a, that was a way, and like Bill said, uh, mobile amateur radio, cheap and easy. And, you know, 
I dug in my closet here, Glenn. You know, I got a closet that's got a lot of stuff in there. You know, it's kind of like oh, medicines. Yeah. And I found, look at here what I found. I found a Wuxon. Yeah, this is a Wuxon. Man, it's Chinese, but this is a Wuxon. Actually, that, I believe Baofeng changed their name from Wuxon to Baofeng. That's a Wuxon, and uh, I have a battery eliminator on it. I used this in my car for a while, and like uh, Bill said, uh, the little speaker mic is pretty good. Now, uh, I've built little projects before where I can put the speaker down in like those tumblers or cups, like he says. And you know those cups, they actually amplify the sound. And give yeah, it, that looked it kinda, like a good idea. I'd never thought about it. Kind of give it a give it a, a, a nice, uh, uh, more uh, professional sound to it. But uh, uh, this is just, uh, again, just like he did. This is a speaker mic. So I would clip this on the car somewhere, plug it in, and hey, it has a uh, BNC at the top. And uh, this was uh, my two, 220. This is on 220 uh, megahertz. And... Uh, it was uh, it was a pretty cool little little deal, you know. And uh, I worked repeater here. We got a great uh, two uh, two twenty gang around here. Not too many people on it, uh, but uh, uh, the little handy talkie got me by until I put put a mobile rig in. You know, there are not many people that make two twenty rigs. Uh, I think Aston makes one, and uh, TYT makes one I know of. And uh, so uh, anyway, I finally upgraded. But hey, thank you so much, Bill, for uh, for sending that in, man. I appreciate it. And um, if you have anything else, send it to us, man. We're looking for it, you know. All right. Uh, tell you what let's do next. I want to introduce uh, to you guys Alan, uh, NY2G. Let me see if I can bring Alan in here. Let's see. Well, let's see. Alan, say something. Maybe you'll pop in a picture there. Okay. Hi, everybody. It's Alan, NY2G, from Brooklyn, New York, if you yeah. can't tell from the accent. <laughs> so, you know what? Uh, um, Audio is a bit hot. Yeah. You know what? Let's see. Stop. Let's see. Stop video. Um, I've got this thing where it's not selecting the speaker. Let me see if I can figure out how to do this. You want me to? I'll, no, I'll no, it's backwards. Ten nine eight seven six five. Yeah, I, I think I think you're okay for now. Let's CQ, see. CQ. <laughs> Let's see. I, I'm trying to. Uh, okay. I'm trying to He's bring you it. up on the. Um, uh, uh, stop video. I'm looking at all the options in here. Um, yeah, see. And so far, I'm not finding it. I, I need to be more of a... Uh, it's, it's some kind of a Zoom option, and I can't tell yeah, you which one it would be. Uh, Tom, I, I think when you get your other eye done, it'll be a little bit easier. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something different. I'm going right. to manually bring you in here. Let's see what I can do here. Uh-oh. We're going to uh -oh. do it this way. Okay. We're going to do, do, do it this way for right now. And I'm down here in front of Glenn now, so anyway... All right, hey, hey guys, this is uh, we're talking with Alan uh, NY2G here from uh, you're in Long Island, is that right? Or New uh, no, Brooklyn, New York, Bensonhurst. Okay, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, New York. All right, well, you know, Alan called me yesterday and says, "Hey, I'd like to help out, man. I've got this presentation on CW keys, and and uh, I thought that would be kind of neat. There's quite a few people." Uh, on here that uh, are learning CW and want to and 
just to give you a little background on Alan. Alan, you can fill in the details here, but uh, uh, you know, Alan, uh, I think uh, Alan got uh, burglarized three times back in 1965, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so they had a security guy come in and gonna, you know, charge him an arm or leg. And, and Alan told his dad, said, Dad, I know electronics. I can go down and buy the parts. I can put a security system in. And I think he did that. And that led to uh, a long, I guess, uh, career in electronics and eventually into uh, uh, security systems. Uh, he, uh, uh, in 1978, he joined the Metropolitan uh, Burglar and Fire Alarm Association. He was a trainer, board of directors. Uh, he was an officer of that group. In, in 1981, he and a few others formed the New York, New, the New York Statewide Alarm Association. Now, so I would imagine anybody up there in that area of the world that's got an alarm system, Alan has probably had something to do with you guys here. Come on in here, Alan, and tell, tell them what, what I missed, man. Well, you didn't miss too much, and uh, thank you for the introduction, Tom. Um, on the ham radio side, I think when I was nine years old, um, I started getting involved with electronics, and um, I'm, I'm not going to recommend this, but being an experimenter, I used to take, and don't laugh, Glenn, I know you did this too, I used to take um, old electrolytics, hook them up to 100, and uh, back then it was 110 volts AC, watch them overheat and explode. Very, very dangerous thing to do, but... Um, that's one of my uh, inroads into electronics when um, uh, you you can't really, where am I? You really can't pick it up, but I have a couple of regenerative receivers up there. When I was uh, in junior high school, I started shortwave listening like everybody else did. And um, in 1984, I decided to uh, get my ham radio license. I actually started learning the code when I went to, uh, for those of you that are in New York and listening, uh, Monroe in Monroe, New York, sleepaway camp. And back then, the uh, camps, which I wish they would do it today, the camps always had a ham radio counselor. And a lot of the camps had a ham radio shack, and it was one of the activities. So you're going to see my first novice key uh, during my presentation. So I got a key and um, we got a buzzer and we got a battery and we were learning Morse code. Now we were up in the mountains and we didn't really have good radio coverage. And uh, I came up with, I did, came up with this idea. I put a wire onto the buzzer and we all had AM radios back then. So we could send code to each other in, I guess you would call it the bunkhouse and uh, it was spot cap transmitters, and that's where I learned my first code. But it took until 1984 for me to uh, finally buckle down and study and get my license. And eventually I upgraded to, uh, uh, it was novice, I got all of them, tech, uh, tech uh, advanced, and then uh, extra. And then I got my extra call NY for New York, and I got lucky. I got the G for my last name, Glasser. So I've been a ham since 1984. It's a great hobby. I've done almost everything. Uh, this POTUS stuff. Uh, I was camping out and with my uh, 
Heathkit uh, HW7, HW7, that was uh, camping or parks on the air. I did some summits. Um, used to do a lot of hiking. Now I do a lot of sitting around <laughs> and watching YouTube. So I did a lot of hank uh, hiking and I was going to say hanky-panky. And uh, <laughs> carried uh, my heat kits with me and uh, made a, a fan dipole with a slingshot. So I've been on top of mountains uh, with CW. And then uh, eventually I got more sophisticated and it's kind of hard to see. Oh, I, this is backwards here. Oh, yeah, it is. Shoulder. So some of my radios, um, I have um, the Kenwood uh, 530SP. And then uh, that's a little computer. And then the uh, Kenwood 450. Over here is the ICOM 7000. So those are my working radios. And I got a whole bunch of other radios either packed up and somewhere back here. This is the first time I'm doing Zoom live like this, yeah. other than this yeah. stuff. So I think somewhere over here uh, is my two Usan uh, walkie talkies. And then I got the MR radios and all of that stuff. So I'm a real ham. I'm not that active. I will be active. Well, I, I can't say that. Um, the New York QSO party. Uh, is sometime on one of the weekends in October. I'll be on the air for that. Um, we've had terrible storms out here on the East Coast, as you, you guys know. So I did lose my uh, R5 antenna that was up on the roof. So I'm one antenna short. But I'm ham radio. And my ham radio uh, led me sort of the electronics led me into the burglar alarm business because again, I was learning electronics when I was a kid. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, I belong to a number of clubs and tonight's presentation is something I actually put together for the Long Island CW club. And um, uh, you're seeing it live for the first time. They'll see it eventually. So you got it first, Tom. All right. That's a little bit about me. All right. Well, hey, I'm uh, anxious to see your uh, PowerPoint, and you got a lot of different uh, CW keys that you're going to show us here. You put them well, through your paces, right? Um, I'll go through the PowerPoint. These are some of my favorite keys that I use almost when I'm on the air. Uh, technically, I probably have. I'm counting in my head about 75 different keys wow. for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I just bought another key on eBay tonight. And they don't have to be fancy schmancy keys. The one I bought on eBay, the guy wanted $9.95 best offer. <laughs> I yeah. offered him $9. It's a homemade key. Okay. Somebody made it from a kit. And it it's it's a key on on a, on a plank of wood with with brass and connectors and all of that kind of stuff so around my house mostly in the basement and some on this shelf and this shelf and i'll show this a little bit later uh i have keys some of them are hooked up and some of them aren't so i'll go through my powerpoint presentation and forgive me if um um i'm a little uh, new to it again i'm 
I'm used to Zoom for business applications, but this is the first time I'm actually doing a presentation on Zoom. So I got to press buttons here and make sure everything works all right. So is that okay with you? Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, go ahead and do a share screen and bring your presentation up and okay. we'll look at it. I got to put my glasses on to see okay. the screen. All right. Wow, you look much better this way. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, let me see what I got to do here. Um, share screen. If I lose you, I'll come right back. Okay. And I'm going to share um, PowerPoint presentation. There we go. Looks good. All and right. I want to make see. sure you're here. All right, hang on a second. I've got to do some of my end because I've got, I've got something. Hang on, Backwards. hang on, hang on. Let me figure right. out how to do this. There you go. What? There I go. So what? you should see a full screen now, right? Yeah, there we there we go. All right, I got I got to get right. off here. There we go, and let me move you out of the way here. All right, we'll try that. Okay. And we'll find out in a minute if you hear the PowerPoint uh, sounds. Now, what I did is um, in, instead of showing everything live, which is kind of tough to do, I did a PowerPoint presentation with the camera and the keys. Now, I'm going to apologize. I know code. I passed my 20 words per minute <laughs> exam for extra when we had code. However, on this presentation, I'm sending with my left hand and trying to hold the camera uh -huh. with my right hand. So forgive me. <laughs> and and, and forgive me I, guess, I, I, I guess you're not sending any code with your feet in this, this presentation, right? Well, it sounds like it, though. But, you know, there is a contest where people do sin with their feet. You know about that, right? Yeah, I've seen it on YouTube. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Let, here we go. All, All right. right. So, originally, this was um, a presentation I put together for the Long Island CW Club. And, by the way, uh, I've been a member of the club uh, for almost the beginning, and I'm member 100. If you want to learn CW, this is not a commercial for them. It's just the, the honest truth. If you want to learn CW, it's the place to go. It is the most fantastic group that I've ever belonged to. And I've belonged to a lot of ham radio clubs over the years. And you could start uh, at zero, or you could be a good proficient code operator and join in with high-speed code as well. In any case, this is a presentation I put together for them. Let me press a button here. And the sounds that you're going to hear, old school of, for some of you new guys that uh, knew the ham radio, uh, the Amico code oscillator. Mm -hmm. um, this one, I think, was brand new out of the box. I have like two or three of them. So besides collecting keys, I collect oscillators. And uh, this is what the keys are going to be hooked up to. This is my original novice key, and it, it's old, and, and uh, it's at least 1984. I don't remember where I bought it. However, I had a piece of wood. I made, painted it blue. I made a, a little stand for the key, and on the right side, you can see where I have the alligator clips, and that's hooked up to the... Uh, code oscillator. So if I press another button here, you're going to see me actually uh, send some code with my original novice key. And um, uh, do I have to do this? Hold on. I think I have to do this. 
Here we go. Now the key's moving a little bit. Now that didn't sound too bad. Um, you can still hear me, right? Oh yeah, we still hear you. All right. Uh, that was with my right hand. I happen to be a lefty, and the advantage for me is I can send code with my right hand. I'm ambidextrous, and uh, write at the same time with my left hand. So um, the key happens to be on uh, one of those um, uh, super fiber towels, whatever you call them. In any case, so the key moves a little bit. All right, we just saw that one. All right. Mm -hmm. Here's a, um, another key, and uh, I made a, a, a piece of plastic and uh, put some little, um, uh, I guess, I don't remember. I think there were little pieces of cloth uh, bumpers on there, and this is another key. Now I'm starting to send with my left hand, so it's not going to be as good. I think this key, let's see, I got my notes over here. Uh, this key was... Uh, uh, this particular one, I think, was uh, William M. Nye Key. And um, you can still see them on eBay. I went on eBay today, and this exact same key um, was $89.99 in the box. So if you're a key collector, uh, this is the key that uh, you can still buy today. If you notice my hand... I have what they call a navy knob, and uh, I'm more comfortable with a navy knob. A lot of my keys have the navy knob, and if they didn't come with a navy knob, I bought the navy knob for them. And it's just nicer for me to hold on to it. And the original purpose of the navy knob, um, and if you were an old-time uh, ham radio operator, where there was high voltage on the key, the navy knob sort of kept your fingers away from the brass. So this is what this key sounds like. And uh, uh, let's let's see. Again, I'm sending with my wrong hand, but that's it. Oh, if you didn't know what I was sending, it is uh, my call sign, and uh, um, the end of the call sign is SK. Some people think silent key means you're no longer with us, but that's the end of transmission, SK. So I sent it slow enough, so hopefully you can understand what I'm sending. Uh, let's try the next key over here. This is my Kent key. Now, again, Navy knob. And the Kent key is made by Kent, comes from England. They have a whole line of keys. This was the original Kent key, the first one that uh, they made. If you look at the top, uh, I, for lack of a better word, the pinion or the, or the balance point, you see a coilacue. That's what we call it in Brooklyn, the coilacue of, um, of wire. And um, the new ones... That's actually still there, but on the bottom, so you can't see it. Now, 
I don't polish my keys. I'm like a, uh, a band player that has a trumpet or a trombone, and they don't polish their trombone. And then some people like to keep their keys polished. I like the, um, the natural uh, patina of it. On the bottom of the key, it's actually hollow under the wood, and there is a weight. So uh, I love this key. This is like one of my favorite keys. It just feels so good. And uh, it's not a high-speed key. The reason being uh, is that there's a lot of mass to move. It's not a high-speed key, but for me, it's a comfortable key. So let's uh, see. Uh, oh, okay. I showed another picture. Uh, when I bought it, I had a plaque made for it. So it has my call letters on it for perpetuity, <laughs> as we say in Brooklyn, perpetuity. So um, let's see. Again, let's see how this one sounds. Uh, or maybe it's the next slide. Oh. Well, big sound. All right, so I'm ready. Okay, um, I passed by a slide and I think in a PowerPoint presentation I could do backspace, but I'm not going to do it because then I'll screw up everything. This particular key I got new in the box and um, it's a William M. Nye master key. Now, most of them that you see on the internet are um, black anodized or, or black wrinkled finish. This particular key is all chromed, and um, I like it, but I really don't use it. It's packed up in the box. Again, it has a navy knob because I feel more comfortable with a navy knob. And if you happen to buy this key, I actually gave away one of these as a prize at one time. Uh, right in the middle, I don't know. I don't know if you could see my mouse. If you could see my mouse pointing over here, right in the middle, there are no exposed contact points. Can you see that on, on your screen? Yeah, like, you don't see, see my yeah. mouse, right? Yeah, yeah I see it. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, there's a little plastic pin, and the plastic pin pushes on the contacts that are sealed underneath. There's four screws. You could take it apart. The trick with this particular key is that when they make it, it looks like they take a pair of pliers and cut a piece of plastic and stick it in place. I take the key apart. And I burnish the ends of the plastic so it's round and smooth. And the key makes all the difference. Some people actually put a piece of uh, cardboard or rubber under the contacts as well. But this particular key is very smooth. And, and if somebody buys these kind of keys and they know what they're doing, I would take the plastic out, polish the ends, put the key back together. And... Um, by the way, all the pivot points, when I redo my keys, and I have Vibaplexes, I have more keys than I could mention here in this uh, presentation. All of my keys are taken apart, polished, and I use, um, um, it's actually clock oil on the moving parts. Uh, it doesn't affect the electronics, and the clock oil is non-contaminating and uh, will not oxidize. Anyway, let's see what this key sounds like. Again, I'm going to press a little button here. Uh, all right, I can't do that. Let me go back. Oh, yes, I could go backspace. It works. Okay, 
Wow, just learned something. Let's see if I could play the sound on this one. Uh, give me a second here. And then again, I'm not. Okay, let's play the sound on this one. SK. Notice um, if you can watch in the future how I hold the knob. Proper way to hold the knob. Some people just stick one finger on it, and I, I'm in control of the knob. And um, if you're adjusting your key, you have to play with, with every key is a little different. You have to play with the key. Some people put a weight on uh, the knob, a um, couple of half dollars. Um, silver dollars if you got them and when you when the key is how you like it and the space is how you like it you could adjust all your other keys just put a couple of half dollars or quarters on the key until it just closes unless you have a scale that you could push against the key so all your keys should feel the same to you um, that's just my little trick all right let's take a look at the next one So I'm sending a bunch of these, my uh, call sign, and then uh, SK. All right, next one. Long time ago, I had a friend, and he had a whole box of uh, the J38s. And this is uh, an original J38 made by Lionel Corporation. And again, if you're on the East Coast uh, or born here and, and you were a New Yorker, just to give you a little bit of history, in Manhattan, Lionel Corporation had a showroom with all of their Lionel trains. Now that showroom, if I remember, was around East 16th Street or right north of what we call Madison Park. And um, Madison Park starts on, um, uh, oh boy, uh, 14th Street. And uh, it's right across from the Flatiron Building. In any case, I guess during the war, they won a contract to manufacture the J38, which is one of the most famous keys. A lot of people have um, cut their eye teeth and Morse code using the J38, a real J38. There are Japanese J38s that uh, I really don't recommend. So let's take a look at this particular one. New, brand new out of the box, never hooked up. Has the Lionel Corporation logo on the box, and you'll see it's going to be on the key as well. So the original use of this key was actually training uh, soldiers uh, to learn Morse code. And when you see the word line and you see those on the right side, those two terminals, actually what happened was you can switch between the key and a set of earphones. So when the instructor was sending, everybody would be listening and then when you move the shorting bar out, you would be able to send to the instructor. Now on the uh, top right-hand side, you're gonna see a little eye bolt. P 
people don't know what that eye bolt is for, but if you look up history, the eye bolt in particular was to tie the end of the headset that had little pins on the end to fit through the terminals. So the uh, headset, the weave around the headset continued for an inch or two, and you would tie the headset uh, to that little eye bolt. It's not there uh, to tie the key to the table. So that's what that little eye bolt is all about. So this is an original, unmodified J38 made by Lionel. And on the back of the key, oh, oh, that's another view of it. Um, and uh, again, not polished, not played with, uh, all original. And if you look on the back of the key on the top right-hand side of the picture, which is blocked by my face, um, there's a, um, it's upside down in the picture, but there's the Lino, oh, thank you, Tom. There's a, <laughs> uh, there's the Lino logo. So a lot of people have asked, how do you identify the key as well? And a real key, real Lino key will have that logo in the, uh, I assume it's Bakelite. Um, and that's the real key. There, There is a wartime um, nomenclature right in the middle of the key. This is not for the Navy. The Navy key had the anchor in orange. This is the uh, military uh, uh, number, which I can't read. And I'm not going to mess with it because if I mess with it, then the key will not be as worth as much as it is. So this is, again, an original Lino key. And there are other manufacturers of the J38. They're all pretty good keys because they're made to government specifications. Just don't wind up buying the Japanese one. Um, it's not the same. It's uh, totally different. And it doesn't feel as good, and it doesn't work as good. This key here, um, again, the military, this is a hard key to find. It's, it's a flame-proof key, and if you look right in the second line on the right side, it's a J5A. A J5A is a key, and it was made over here in Newark, New Jersey, is a key that is uh, what they call flame-proof. The purpose of the flame-proof key is if you were in an environment that had... Um, leaking, or, or, or let's just put it this way, fumes in the air from gasoline or something else, the uh, contacts of the key were enclosed and it would not create a spark that would ignite the fumes. The spark would be contained inside the housing. So this key goes back a long time. Let me go check my notes over here. And the original design of the key was... I have notes for all my keys. Uh, the original design of the key goes back to, uh, looks like 1918 or so. And um, it was used in the military, but it was not a Navy key. It's an aircraft key. They call it a flame-proof aircraft key, J5A. And you got to remember, back in the old days, airplanes... Um, they weren't really <laughs> uh, 
sealed. There's a lot of fumes in there. So you don't want to send Morse code on an airplane and have sparks flying all over the place. So this is why they call it a flame-proof key. This is what it looks like, complete. Again, it has what I would call the navy knob on it. And uh, if you take that little cover off, you can get to the contact points. And if you had to, you could clean them. And uh, again, I didn't touch this key. I leave them alone. Some keys, which you'll see in the future, uh, I have reconditioned. But this particular one, I have not reconditioned. You can still find them on the internet. Once in a while, you can find them uh, at a ham fest. And this particular one I bought on eBay. I buy a lot of my keys on eBay. Um, I used to buy a lot of them going to all the ham fests all over the place. But uh, I find got to be careful but i find that if you know what you're buying ebay uh, is a good place to go so um, this was an aircraft key it's not a navy key and there was no navy logo on it so this obviously would have had to be mounted to something because it doesn't have a very wide base all right moving along this is a key that uh, people call a navy key. It's also a flame-proof key. The interesting part is it doesn't have a military designation. It's not a J key. It's not a J37, 38, 39, 40. It's not a J5. It doesn't have a J number for whatever reason. However, this particular key uh, has an interesting background. See, you can send Morse code with it, but the original purpose of the key, and listen to me carefully, the original purpose of the key was in a ship, uh, and it's flame-proof. It was actually mounted on, um, uh, I'm, a, I'm an Air Force guy, not a Navy guy. It was actually mounted, I guess you would call it a bulkhead or the wall. And you would use this key to activate a signaling light so you could send Morse code to another ship with a signaling light. You may find some of the keys on the knob uh, with um, a logo on it. And the logo says, do not, um, uh, hold on. Uh, do not hold over two minutes. Now, the reason for that is, is that the key was actually turning a light on and off. So you didn't want the key to overheat. This was its use prior to, uh, being used on ships and aircraft. This particular key, I'm going to hold this up. So I'm going to hold it. This is the key that I have. And the letters on it will let you know who the manufacturer is. And the letter ending with the B is Burnell. And uh, this particular key was taken apart by me. Um, it was put in an ultrasonic bath using uh, Julia's... Um, uh, uh, chemicals that you, you, your jeweler would use for uh, diamonds and gold and silver and stuff. And I mounted it to a very heavy steel plate. So this key has a very good feel to it. Again, it was cleaned and lubricated. And this is not a commercial, but if you want good uh, uh, good base plates for your keys, and key parts, uh, AT&T, Labor, MGR, uh, that's, he's at eBay. So uh, I buy a lot of stuff from him. 
and uh, this is solid. This is nice, heavy bass for a lot of my keys, not just this one. So this particular key, again, uh, flame-proof flame key, and it's something that is pretty common on um, eBay, and you find a lot of them um, at uh, Hamfest. Now, be careful. This particular part over here just happens to be a plastic housing. Most of the keys that you find don't have this intact. And uh, that detracts from the value of the key. Some keys you'll actually find, and I assume you could see my mouse moving around. Uh, some of the keys will actually have the cord attached to it with a um, uh, audio, I guess it's an audio plug, you know, quarter inch plug attached to it as well. So this is a nice key. A lot of operators like this key and they like the feel of the key. So again, uh, Hamfest or eBay, just be careful when you're on eBay, you, you got to be careful of the screws and the nuts on the top, the adjustments and all of that stuff. And on the bottom of it, if it's um, hasn't been cleaned like mine, you'll see the orange anchor from the military and uh, the Navy had um, uh, from their, uh, I guess, contracts, when the Navy approved the key, um, it had the orange uh, anchor on the bottom. Here's another view of it. You can see how clean and nice and shiny it is. I didn't buff anything. I just took it all apart and put it in an ultrasonic bath and uh, assembled the whole thing. And it's a beautiful key. And uh, just something, you know, not fancy. Doesn't cost, um, you could get them 60, 70, 80 bucks. Doesn't cost 200, 300, 400, $500. Just a key that you can find. I also have a collection of miniature keys. Sometimes my wife buys me these keys. This is from Morse Express. Now you can't see uh, from this particular picture, but it's a little teeny tiny thing. And uh, I use it with a little, <laughs> a little teeny tiny transmitter. So this is a little teeny tiny transmitter and you can see the key next to it. By the way, I have a whole bunch of those. They're CW only. And uh, this particular one is uh, Chinese made. You can buy it as a kit and assemble it. And it's called the S49er. And I don't read Chinese, uh, but if you look it up, S49er and puts out a couple of watts. How many watts? Uh, it's good for 40 meters. And um, uh, that little key goes with that little transmitter. The interesting part is it does have a Wi-Fi card in it, and uh, I can't figure out how to make it work, so I just use a key with it. But you can use it with uh, Wi-Fi. So here's the little key hooked up, and uh, let's let's hear what it sounds like. It's a two-handed key. You got to hold it with one hand. Okay. And that's the same thing. 
here's another one of those little keys. And um, again, it's just a collection key, but they actually do work. It's a little box that it's in. And uh, I cycle through my keys. Some of them go back in the basement. Some of them uh, go up here in the ham shack. And uh, just a cute little key. If you want to use it, it works. And this is what it's going to sound like. This little key is um, William N. Nye, N-Y-E. This is a, um, they don't make them anymore. It's hard to find. It's a key with an oscillator. And um, I keep that around the shack. Somebody comes by and I say, why don't you try Morse code? Here's how to spell your name. And uh, this is what it sounds like. So William M. Nye, Bellevue, Washington. Uh, I think they still make keys, right? Somebody um, bought the company. So here we go. Hard to find, but if you look hard, you can find them. And uh, it's a cutesy thing to have. Obviously, MFJ makes a little key with a little oscillator. It's nice to have around the shack when somebody comes in. It's it's less intimidating than having your key hooked up to a radio and then hearing the side tone. Just say, here, go play with this for a while. This is, um, I collect toys as well. This is a, um, and there's a lot of these on the internet still. This is, uh, this is the end of the presentation, this particular mm -hmm. one. This this is a toy key, and um, I guess it was the first um, um, automatic uh, CW sender. You'll see what I'm talking about in a minute. Now, if somebody's watching this um, uh, presentation tonight and watching Tom in the future or even tonight, I've never come across it. I've never seen an article on it. What I remember as a kid... It was something called a tail ender. And that was a stick where you would put strips of, of copper and you can uh, run a wand along it and it would tail end or it would send your final code with an SK. They called that a tail ender. And I would love if I could find one somewhere or even the instructions. But in any case, uh, this, um, it's a, if I'm reading the box, a new educational toy, rev revolutionary code teacher. Comes with a little, a little booklet and everything. Oh, there's my little girl. Okay. So this is what it looks like. Uh, it's very hard to get in there and, and clean the uh, copper traces, but I did the best I can. So you use the little stylus and you rub the stylus down across the letters and the numbers. So this is what it's going to sound like. Not as good as it should be, but... 
VVV. That was D E. <laughs> now my call sign N Y. So. Hey, Vey. Um, it's a cute curiosity piece. Works on one D cell battery with a little buzzer on the inside. Thank you. Let me, let me, uh, uh, new share. I have to unshare. How do I do that? Uh, down at the bottom, I think it says oh, unshare. Stop share. Okay, got it. I'm back. There you are. There you go. Yeah. All right. So that's just some of my <clears throat> 75 ish keys and just something to play with. And you don't have to be fancy schmancy and um, go buy an expensive key to get on the air because I just showed you you could send almost great Morse code with a, a straight key. That's the end of that. Hey, uh, let's do this. It's about time. Yeah, it's about time. We're going to pick up uh, Bob here. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna see what Bob has to say here. Uh, let me see if I can um, get him queued up here. I think we're gonna be able to do it. So uh, here we uh, here we go. Hey, anyway, hey guys, this is Bob Heil, K9EID, a great friend of ours, a great supporter of our webcast for, for 20 years. Bob, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, really great. Things are wonderful, and I'm glad to be here. Thanks for asking me and the, all of the uh, viewers and listeners out there in shortwave land. So, yeah, this is great. Ham <clears throat> radio is alive and kicking, that's for sure. But uh, I appreciate being here. I want to make sure that uh, they know that we're sending down a few prizes also. So you'll you are. A couple of things going on. Yeah. You guys have always been great. In fact, hey, Bob, I just, I've just i got to mention this, man. 20, 20 years ago when we started webcasting the Hamfest, we were using a, a $1.50 microphone. You know, one of little condenser microphones. I guess it sounded okay, but it sure wasn't to your standards, Bob. And... And, you know, Bob looked at that, and he saw what we were doing, and he I think he kind of liked us. And Bob says, here, take this microphone right here. And Bob gave us, I couldn't believe this, Bob gave us a, a Heil, a PR, this is a, a P, what is this, PR 2025? 20, 35. PR 35. Yeah, mm -hmm. PR 35. This is one of your pro mics. Mm -hmm. And, hey, over 20 years, look here, Bob, we've we got a second one. <laughs> we got a second one here. I mean, we had more channels. We had to get more mics, right? Of course but, you do. Yeah. But, you know, Bob, the only thing that I'm holding against you here, and I hear you tell the story about this mic. Now, let me, well, let me ask you before I get mad here or upset. I'm going to ask you, tell me who uses this microphone. A number of people. Uh, Charlie Daniels, the late Charlie Daniels, was a great friend. and a, We did all of his audio for 12 years. And uh, we developed that microphone he fell in love with. Carrie Underwood is using it for many, many years. And uh, so many other groups because it, it's one of the finest 
vocal microphones. And, uh, uh oh, listen to this. Who is that calling me? Let me find out. All right, it go right be, ahead. Go right ahead. Oh, it could be the FCC. <laughs> well, go ahead. It could, might be. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm sorry. I didn't mute that dumb That's thing okay. that we did now. All right. But anyway, uh, we, uh, uh, we have so many of the artists that really love the 35, and so we're, uh, we're happy with that. And uh, it continues to be a, a real popular item with us. As you all know, it performs very well. Now, here's, here's my rub with you, Bob, and, and uh, you know, I put this in writing, I think, to you. You probably hadn't read my email yet, but when you, when you go in front of these groups and you say, you know, uh, Charlie Daniels uses it, Carrie Underwood, you, you need to put mm-hmm. my name on there. You need to say, and Tom Medlin <laughs> uses it, okay? There you go. <laughs> and, hey, man, that would, that would make me so happy, Bob. You know, just <laughs> let everybody know, Carrie Underwood and Tom uses yeah. mine. I send that to our uh, to our uh, graphic artist. Yeah, you yeah. She's got I, can, I can send you, you know, I can send you a pose or whatever you need, man, for yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, I, I, but again, thank you so much for supporting us and and uh, from from way back. And uh, we missed you at these some of these ham fests, particularly lately. But man, we missed a lot of people at them just because of this COVID stuff. It's, it 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 got pretty serious for a while and. Uh, we understand that, you know, why people are hesitant to come to some of these places. Mm-hmm. We went to Dayton, but we went a little differently, you know. As for years, we've had a booth that's uh, it's almost 100 foot long, and we took a lot of our employees and uh, did a lot of things there. But this year, I decided not to do that because of COVID. We didn't know, well, first of all, it was really up in the air, until just a month or two that really was going to happen. So I said, well, we'll do this. So our, our, our team said, let's, let's do something a little different. So what we did is we visited the different dealers. So we spent an hour or so with each of the dealers there. And that's, we had it on our website as to what time we would be. But I told them going in, I said, look, I get to have one hour for me. Now, how many years have I been going to Dayton? Well, the first one was 1959, and uh, that was quite interesting. Uh, I was one of the first 10 on single sideband on VHF. I had a kilowatt on 6-meter and 2-meter sideband, and the uh, Dayton guys had heard about it, so they invited me to come to their Dayton Hamvention uh, that was in 1959, and uh, I was I was very very uh, pleased and honored to do that. But the situation was that um, uh, <laughs> I found out. Well, they found out. The league went found out that I was one of the first ten, and I was just a kid building all this stuff. But uh, I was then I went there in '59. And from there, I got into other things, and especially on the road with all the groups. I'm sure a lot of you know about those years, The Dead and The Who and Joe Walsh and all that. So I had about a 12, 13-year hiatus from ham radio. And and uh, when I came back in 76, I got an extra license because I had a technician license for 17 years. A lot of people say, Why do you, why'd you do that? Because in those days, in 1959, 
That started the biggest sunspot cycle we've ever had. And it was absolutely amazing. You could come on to six meters any time of the day or night, and there were people there. A lot of DX and all that. It was such a fun band. Now it's been kind of ruined. It's a contest band. All they want is your, your grid, <laughs> grid square, and they're gone. Wait yeah. a minute. What kind of transmitter? What kind of antenna? They don't care. They want your grid square. My God, I'm like, oh, my God, come on. Calm down. What city are you? And they're gone. Anyway, it's not the same as it was. Uh, I loved the rag too. And I want to learn about your station and where you are. <clears throat> you have kids and all that. Anyway, uh, I got an extra class license and uh, I got onto 40 meters and all the others. And then I went crazy from there. But in 1970, I think it was 78, I went to the first. Dayton Hamvention uh, outside of that one in 59. The one in 59 was held in the Biltmore Hotel in downtown Dayton. They'd taken all the furniture out of one of the floors. And they had the Collins Room. They had the Central Electronics, Halicrafters, Drake, Mosley. All these manufacturers were there. They were like movie stars to me because I'd been reading about them in a magazine from mm -hmm. my uh, early days on. But I got to visit with them and ask them questions. It was really great. So uh, that was a, quite a difference. And uh, they went to Hera in 1964 when Hera was built. Well, in 1978, I went there. I went into the flea market to sell a, a whole bunch of metal parts we'd had. We had closed the plant building amplifiers and mixers and all kinds of stuff for the pro sound industry, and we were traveling around the country but then I decided to do something a little different and uh, <clears throat> this was my entrance to ham radio from that side we started a club in 1977 or so in Marissa Marissa Illinois is my home uh, 2,000 people we had uh, three hams and I started a club, Marissa Amateur Radio Club, and we started doing things and building. Within two years, there were 300-plus members in that club. We never held a meeting in the same place. We'd have it at McDonald Aircraft, Wicks Pipe Organ, uh, all kinds of places that sometimes didn't have anything to do with ham radio, but it was neat. It was a different city. We'd go to SIU and Carbondale, all that. And we really had a lot of interest. Well, a guy came to me, and he said, he was a salesman that sold me capacitors. And he said, uh, you're ham, right? And I said, I am. He said, well, I got something you might want to know about. He says, I represent Midland, the CB company. And he said, uh, the down in downtown St. Louis, it was just uh, up the river a little bit there. They had uh, 85, I think it was, of the Midland CBs, but they couldn't sell them because they were 23 channel, and they were going to have to throw them out mm. because the, mm. the FCC came in and said it had to be a 40 channel. He said, call this guy, and he gave me a number, and, and it was the purchasing agent for a famous bar which became Macy's. Anyway, I, 
I said, I think I can help you. He said, what's that? I said, well, you're going to have to throw away uh, these CB radios. How would you like to give them to a 501C and write them off? Oh, wow. And so that began the whole thing. I went back to the club and we started working and seeing what we could do. I discovered that we could take that board, change a crystal, realign a couple of transformers, build an FM demodulator, which was a Motorola chip that had just come out that I'd read about. So we were building that in our plant along with a repeater offset. We also went to Tentec. You know, they were a great manufacturer of cabinets, and they built this cabinet for us, and we sold kits. We sold hundreds of kits, the FM-10. Mm. And then I wrote the book called the FM-10 um, FM Handbook. And actually, it was uh, that movement that started 10-meter FM. Uh, Evelyn Garrison, you probably remember her. She was the president of ICOM America. She would, I'd see her at a couple of shows, and she got t- took my book, and she said, we need to get into this. And so it is. I think it was a 735 uh, had the 10-meter FM that I helped them put together. And from there, all the manufacturers now have 10-meter FM in it. It was a great thing because the band was open like crazy. That was the other thing. It uh, it really was wonderful to be able to walk around with a little handy talkie, and I had a repeater tied up to it, one of those 10-meter FM rigs, and you could talk to Japan or wherever through the 220 link into 10 meters. So we, that's why we, our our uh, club grew like crazy because we were doing so many things, and, and that's what I think is missing for a lot of clubs. They need to be doing things and exciting things, and that's why that club really grew and grew. But I told them you're only going to get me for another year because I had other things to do, and so the club finally it, it kind of went down and closed uh, years later but uh, again it was all about building and that's what what drove me building is is so essential to amateur radio and to me it, it, it was everything uh, if i didn't have a soldering iron in my hand most of the time i wouldn't be happy but there again there were things that really drove me uh, to what we are today and it was amateur radio it was my college education and yeah, you know, we we went on the road with so many different people and uh, one of my one of my I guess it's probably the, the thing that I'm most noted for in many circles that don't know the background of me is the talk box. I built that for Joe Walsh to do Rocky Mountain Way. Joe and I have been friends since 1968 with the James Gang and we did that for Barnstorm. But uh Peter Frampton's little girlfriend, Peter, uh, Peter had a girlfriend, Penny McCall, that was living in our hometown of Marissa. She was living with one of the uh, road managers for Humble Pie. We were doing all the shows that Humble did around the world. And uh, she came to me one day, a couple of years later, said, hey, I'm with Peter Frampton now, and I need a Christmas present. And so, don't send me any guitars. He has a lot of them. <laughs> so what did I do? 
Of course I do. That's what I sent him. <laughs> Peter could actually make it talk. He really could. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, he's become a great friend over the years, and he's kind of in retirement now, but uh, still playing. I think he's in the studio doing some jazz things, so look out and I don't know what's going to happen. But uh, all of those many, many things that we did there. But then one day I got a phone call in 1972 from Paul Klipsch. Paul Klipsch is the father of the folded horn. He was the father of the hi-fi movement in 19, back 48, 49. I, I had a, a hi-fi system in 1950, so I knew a little bit about what was going on. But the deal there was he wanted to see my PA. He said, are you the guy that's got that kilowatt PA? And I said, yes, sir. And I was really, really nervous and shocked that he called me. Now I want to come and see it. So he flew his airplane up to my little town of Marissa. And all day long, why did you do that? Well, how come you did that? Where did you learn to do that? And I said, had ham radio. No, no, like what? I didn't go. I hardly made it through high school, which is true. Barely made it through high school. I didn't care. Mm -hmm. Because the problem there or the situation there is since I was 15, I was a, the organist at the Fox Theater in St. Louis. And we, uh, we learned a lot of things through that. We had to voice and tune over 3,500 pipes from one inch to 32 foot. And that's where we, I learned to listen. You see, hearing is a physical process. We all hear. Listening is a mental process. You got to dive in and dig in and listen to what you're really doing. And that really started my career. And of course, the organ career really went nuts then. Uh, I was very fortunate to be able to play the Paramount Theater in Times Square, New York. Uh, this was down in Tulsa and uh, many, many pictures of all that. But that's how I learned to listen and do things. So Paul said, well, I want to see this kilowatt. Well, unfortunately for him, well, fortunately, it wasn't a kilowatt. It was six kilowatt. <laughs> and oh, we man. just had a big, big time. <laughs> and he put me in his plane that night, flew me back to Hope, Arkansas. And uh, the next couple of days, you couldn't go to a college and grasp what I uh, I learned in those times, and it didn't. You know, it was one. It wasn't one of those things where I did it right then. He was he was talking. What was I doing? I'm a writing notes, man. Oh man, try this, do that, find out about this. One of the things that Paul led me to uh, was the the telephone system. That's a picture of his. Uh, lab which was an old telephone exchange building that's in hope arkansas he's passed on now that's a picture of his folded horn he made one out of plexiglass so he could see it it's amazing amazing speaker uh, and uh, it, it turned me on to the the bell lab studies you see the early telephone system did not work well they were mushy they had no clear speech articulation. Huh. This was a big deal. Like, what are they going to do? How, how much money and time and all that was spent to do the telephone system? 
had two wires started in New Jersey, went all across America. Every 500 miles was a relay station. And when they got to California, beautiful. It was all exactly what went in and went out, but it wasn't good. It's like, uh, what's the problem here? And they, uh, they were really stunned because that telephone system sounded like this. There was no articulation. It was all mushy. They just couldn't figure it out because what went in and all those relay stations keeping it up, it didn't sound good. What are they going to do about that? Well, they uh, turned. Let me get this back up so you can hear me again. They understand me. There were 4,000 scientists at Bell Labs, so they all got involved. I mean, this was a major deal. And those 4,000 scientists, led by Dr. Harvey Munson and Harvey Fletcher and Weldon Munson, those two guys found out something about the human hearing system. I would only hope that many of you know about the Fletcher-Munson curve. If you don't, please go to Google. See, back in those days, we had a little different. We had to learn it from books or whatever. I was very fortunate in that Paul Klipsch gave me this, and it's still with me. It's 1,750 pages of anything you want to know about audio. Yeah, I still use it. I got a flag right here on gain of a microphone preamp that I'm playing with. And I was very blessed that all of this came to me. And, and so now what are they going to do? What Fletcher Munson determined was that our ears don't hear flat. And it is all about the level Notice up at the top, it's almost flat. But down here where you're listening, where it's 20 or 30 dB a level, look like a ride at Disneyland. These are the guys that figured it out. This is what they figured out. And if you don't take anything away from what I say tonight, take this. They determined in that 3K bandwidth. Now, wait a minute. 3K bandwidth. Hmm. Isn't that something about all these transmitters behind me and your transmitter? Yeah. We're playing with 3K bandwidth, right? But they discovered something. 2.5K in between 2 and 3K is the magic spot. I'm going to turn one control and it will remove 25 it takes it down. I haven't turned up the bass. I haven't turned the treble. They're all flat. But now everything's mushy. There is no speech articulation. There simply is no beautiful, simple things. But it's all mushy. Now, here we go. I'm going to bring that back on. Here comes the 2.5. Now it's simply stunning because we have beautiful articulation. And this is something we cannot deny. We cannot put our head and bury it in the sand. It's a fact, and it's a fact that was learned 
many years ago and passed on to us. So the telephone system had to be fixed. How are they going to fix it? There was no equalization. Equalization wasn't even thought of. What they did was they used high-pass filter. I did two of but I did a low-pass on the ride, but just to show you the difference. Audio goes into that capacitor, depending on the size of it, and depending on the size of the resistor to ground, that takes the low end, the base, out. What are you left with? Very nice, stunning peak at 2.5. And there's a, a, a formula for all of this. That's what they did. They had, there was no other way. Well, in 1930, the silent film, film industry was void because talkies came in. But the talkies were terrible. They were, again, mushy. You couldn't understand them. What are they going to do? They didn't have any equalization. And there was a young man, John Volkman. Look how young he was. Oh, my goodness. He worked for RCA in the 1920s. But they let him do a new job of motion picture playback systems. He had to go into each of the theaters that had an RCA system and do something. And so what he did is he built this little box and it had several different values of low pass and high pass. None of the low pass really wasn't necessary. But the high passes, he could fix each one of them, find out what, what the components were, solder them in, and bingo, we had it happening. It was really, really something. And from 1920, now pay attention here, from 1920 until 1967, we were void of any serious equalization. Today, my gosh, everything's equalized. But back then, no, 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 there were no equalizers. Well, in 1967, I was just entering the sound reinforcement business, and we did it by using different types of, of horns and speakers and, and different ways to stack them. I learned a lot of that from Paul Klipsch also. But I had heard that Langevin had come out with an equalizer. So I took off to California. And there it is. It was the very first commercial-built equalizer. You could switch up at the top, select a frequency, and then you boost or cut. That was amazing. So I told the gentleman, I said, I want to buy some of these. And he said, well, just a minute. We got something coming very quickly, and I'll let you see. We're working with Alltech. Look what we've done. Now, today, you guys say, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Can you imagine that that did not exist? And I walked into the room, and they handed me that. Can you imagine the thrill? Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, what is this? Uh-huh. Yep. So I bought uh, one of those. I bought two of their mixers. They had a new mixer that had didn't have rotary controls like all the others we were using from the broadcast industry. And I brought them back to Marissa, and I had a carpenter there build me a cabinet, big steel legs that we could fold up and we could carry it around. 16 channels with compression and limiting. That's what the two meters were from uh, Longevin. And... 
that graphic equalizer. And you can imagine when Heil Sound moved into these arenas, the groups, they went freako because they had never seen anything like that. That was why Heil Sound was, uh, we were caught, catapulted into that industry really quickly. Where did I learn it all? Ham radio. And, and it was just so much fun that we could do things and and things that were unorthodox. There's no textbook for some of this. You just do it. Mm. And uh, one of my things, I, I came back to ham radio. I got rid of all the sound reinforcement gear. I came back to ham radio. Hadn't been on about 12 years. I turned on my KWM2, and I was totally freaked out. Why? Because this is what I heard a lot of. CQ, 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 field day, CQ, field day. What? It was all distorted, big bassy, no articulation. I go, what is going on? But a few, a few of them had it. But still, we had, it was just like, what are we doing here? Oscar Kilo. Thank you. Copy 3 Alpha Sierra Delta. I looked at that and I said, wow, why is that guy so clear? Because his microphone had a lot of 2.5 in it. And so that started my trick of bringing articulate audio to ham radio. The first thing I did was I did this. I built, for me, I'm just goofing around. I built that. Say, what is that? That is my EQ 200, I called it. That little guy quickly became very popular because the ARRL called me. And I wanted me to write an article about it, which I did. July of 1982. That says January. It wasn't. It was July. 1982. I wrote the article, how to build it and all that. And it, was, it received a cover award uh, for that, that uh, month. I was very, very pleased and honored by that. That was a big deal for this little kid. But there again, these are things that I learned just playing around and shared it with everybody. But I had closed my plant. We'd sold all of the sound reinforcement stuff, as I mentioned. But I still had the building, a 7,000-square-foot building. But I had my printed circuit board stuff and all the other machinery. I hadn't got rid of that yet. So we started building EQ200s. Uh, I did that article as a do-it-yourself, but didn't work too well. I made a mistake. I put my phone number in the bottom of that mm. article, but that's okay. It got us really into building things for amateur radio, and it really was, other than the 10-meter FM kits, uh, and we were just putting pieces together there. That was the first product, and I still have guys that will call me today that use it. But in 1999, I got a call, or I, I received a letter from Dr. Inouye. Dr. Inouye is the founder of ICOM. And he had a picture of his station 
his picture, he had one of the great IC-781s. What a great rig. It was the first rig that had a scope in it. It was a real CRT scope. Contesters loved it, and a few still are. And he had one of my gold lines, and he had one of my EQ-200s. This is the president of ICOM going, whoa. <clears throat> and he said, I'm thinking of new radio. I think I want to use EQ-200. And so it is, and history will, will remain from the Pro 1, Pro 2, Pro 3, all the way through the ICOM line to the little 705. They all have the EQ-200 in them. Yesu came along a little later, a year later actually, and at Dayton, Dr. Hasegawa comes into the booth. He's a big tall guy. I want to talk to you about this EQ. And I'm like, let's step out of the booth. <laughs> and so we talked about it, and I said, well, we could do that, but it's going to have to, if you're saying better, it have to be a parametric. Ah, oh, that'd be good. I said, not so fast. What would be the problem? I said, education. What do you mean? Well, you see, with the little two-band EQ, I, f I know what frequency. I figured it out from using it. Those were set. All you got to do was increase or cut of those two filters. The top one being 2.5, the bottom one 160. But in parametric equalization, you don't have anything to go by. You have three filters. They each have three things. Level frequency and bandwidth audio bandwidth that means you have nine controls and you don't know where any of them are that was a real challenge i'll take care of it well they didn't if you have a yesu and you look at the book how to adjust their parametric i did the i i mean i i did it for him i i can't figure it out so I knew we had to do something, and it was really quite simple because when you look at the picture, and they're all the same. They might have different uh, colors and stuff, but they all have nine filters, frequency level width, frequency level width, so on. You set the first one to 200, the frequency. You're going to notch that bass. You don't want all that pumpy bass, minus three or four. And the bandwidth, audio bandwidth, is two octaves. Just leave it at two octaves. The next one, there's something weird between six and 900 hertz. It's kind of a boxy sound. Get rid of it. Set that at eight, 900, minus a little bit. Now, what do you do with the third one? You already know or you haven't been listening to me. 2.5K plus eight. Oh, baby. Yes. You want to go over to that 2.5 and you want to go bang you don't want it to be down here and that's how you adjust a parametric equalizer and uh, all of them are the same even the new 101 and all those kind of things and so it it really is a wonderful thing for amateur radio if you don't have uh, have it in your you know in your radio it yeah, you could do an outboard kenwood came to me we helped them a little bit with theirs i didn't I didn't uh, like the 13 band. We don't need all that. My my first thing I did for them was only going to be eight bands, but they went a little further. If you have a rig that doesn't have EQ, W2IHY is your is your golden entrance. That really works great, and uh, it, it it's it's just wonderful stuff. Our uh, our website has all kinds of things on it. Uh, 
all things Yesu, all things Icom, all things Kenwood. These are the kind of things you'll see. There's how to set your Yesu. And so uh, we have the same thing for all of them. But uh, there again, you need to need to think a little bit when you're adjusting this and listening. It's so important to listen. I always listen to myself in another receiver, and that works extremely well. But what do we do about receiving? Hmm. Well, the rigs have a little bit of thing to, to do. They have a little EQ here and there, but it's not very good. So I said, we're going to do something about that. Borrowing a lot of the things I learned from Paul Klipsch. We built the perfect speaker. There's a lot of speakers, and there's a lot of all these little boxes, but they don't work very well. And look at the size of that magnet. And then we built the speaker box, the cabinet. We built that to tune what that cone was. You take that cone outside into free air and tell you, and do a, a sweep on it, find out what the cone resonance is, then you would adjust the box. When you build the box, you write, put the right dampening and so on in it, and it has a three and a half inch tweeter. But the power amp that you see on the back, that thing is 25 watts at 0.1%. Every one of the transceivers, I know I work with them, are maybe one to two watts, and they're 10%. 10 it drives me freako. I, I talked to one of you, and that's good enough. No, it's not good enough. And so I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And so I did. The parametric receive audio system. And it's something that really works great for, uh oh, works really great for any kind of uh, receive audio. Computers, oh my goodness, is it something for computers? And so we're seeing a lot of our parametric receive systems come into that being. And here's the deal. This is the best thing I can show you right here. It has an input control. And then we have th three filters. This is a, just a plus or minus at 6K. This happens to be the low at 160, plus or minus 12 dB. There you go. But the middle is parametric. We have a gain control. We'll set that. I'm going to set everything else about flat. And then this is your parametric mids from 400 to 4,000. See, it's not set parametric you can change the parameters of that filter i have a little thing on a disc here that came from the air Nathan. that this is a, a dx station and here's the way you hear it that's flat okay Echo India is Bravo, Lima Bravo. 2.5. It is flat, the way you hear it. It is flat. This is the way you listen to him. Echo India is Bravo, Lima Bravo. It's amazing. The other thing about it, 
That's really wonderful. I have two headphone amplifiers, separate line amps. These are not all wired together and all that. They're separate amplifiers. You can have a logger. You can have an operator. But what's really taken hold is the left side of your headphone and the right side. So if you have a hearing imbalance, this is a godsend. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people write and tell me and call me. This one is a record out. It's a separate amplifier. It's not just some Y thing. And that you can plug into your computer and do what I did there in that it's it, it gives you some really great recordings. And we're so thrilled that these are the kind of things we need. But a lot of manufacturers don't. And the people that do, they're just... <laughs> don't get me started they've got to be right and I guess I've been so blessed in my life to have people like Paul Klipsch and uh, all these wonderful people guide me through all of this stuff but um, you know we continue on we've got a lot of other products and things that we're working on and hopefully we'll make it all happen we're, I, I want to dispel all rumors that I have not retired where did that come from? You didn't read right. Sarah says that a lot. She said, you just don't, you don't read right. You don't, you didn't read. Hey, hey, Bob, I read it, and I, I read it wrong. I actually thought you were gone, man. It was a sad nope. day at Dodge. Nope. I have a new title. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah's son, Ash, had been working with us for years. He's a very schooled uh, classical pianist. He's a Ph.D., and he'd been... Pr actually uh, in psychology for a number of years teaching but he he came aboard some time ago and he's running the things and the other thing is i think you have a picture of those guys steve warford's been on the, the right steve been with me since he was 16 he is the director of operations he is the man and uh, ash has all of the uh, the things to do with the different groups and so on and keeps it running jerry lynch is another one jerry's been with me for oh gosh 14 years maybe he does all the dealer stuff and works with a lot of bands and so on so we have a really well-oiled machine there and uh, n nobody's gone so however yeah. where it might start is that sarah has retired and uh so she's enjoying her re her retirement but um well, Bob, let me, let me tell you, once you retire, you're going to get really, really busy. So I would yeah. say, I would say yeah. work as long as you can. You have a little <laughs> extra time, you know. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Bob, I, I know that I think you said around 9 o'clock you were probably yeah. needed to leave. Hey, I got a, just a quick question for you here. Let me, let me throw some up here on the screen and uh, just ask you a couple questions here. Hey, you know, I'm looking at this antenna here on here. This is Bob's QRZ page on K9EID. I'm looking at your 128 element antenna here. Now, yeah, you know, my parents were so nice. Uh, they bought me my first, my night kit T150, and I built that. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. That was $150 back in 1960, early 60. That's probably worth a thousand bucks then. But how well, did you get your parents to, to let you put up 128 elements? I was very, very fortunate that my parents were so forgiving. Uh, I started playing the organ when I was 14, 
and I started building a bank fund and all those years at the Fox and all, as I showed you a while ago. And um, I was able to buy all my ham gear, but what you saw there cost me nothing because when I went to Dayton at the, at the Biltmore in 19, uh, it was 1959, one of the companies that were showing there was a J-Beam company. And the J-Beam company, they came to me, well, I went in to see them because I'd already had a J-Beam up, and uh, they wanted to know if I could do an experiment with one of their antennas. And I said, sure, you know, yeah, I'd do experiments. They sent over their 128 element array, <laughs> and uh, we had a spare lot beside our house, and that's where we put it. It was on a 50-foot roan tower. A 50-foot roan tower was the boom. But uh, two years before that, 1958, I had up a 110-foot roan with a 35-foot uh, Telerec 6-meter and a 35-foot 15-element uh, for 2 meters. And that was what the kilowatt amp drove. So I was... Uh, I was pretty healthy signal on six and two meters with all of that, yeah. and they did, were thrilled. Uh, they they did, were. Did. It didn't cost them anything, and they were, they were thrilled. They weren't into radio at all, but they they were very intrigued about how, all how the about things. The neighbors? We, uh, how did the neighbors take that? Oh, they knew I was crazy anyway, because yeah, yeah. uh, uh, that same year I put a pipe organ in my home. We had all mm -hmm. kinds of things going on, yeah. uh, and I built that pipe organ, and you know, so now the the, the there's a small town in Marissa. They they took a lot of interest in, in what I did, and so that was why that all happened. There's yeah. my great hey, friend. Hey, I know, I know you like, and you've got a big collection of uh, uh, old equipment, and I know you're an AMer type guy back there. Yep. Uh, we started, hey, you were talking about uh, VHF and, and the bands being good back in the early 60s. When I was a novice, we were able to hold our... Um, technician license at the same time you could do both at the same time and i actually operated six and man six was open back then you talked from here to new york just like you were in the backyard man it was, yeah. it was cool hey tell me about some of this equipment right here you hey you got a nice piece of autographed equipment here that's wonderful that is a mosley receiver they only built 200 of them and they were across the street <laughs> From this four-star restaurant that I played in in St. Louis, where I had a pipe organ I had built in 19... I put that in in 1960. I was there for six years. And across the street was the Mosley factory. And I'd go over there every once in a while. I'd go in to work a little early. I went on... In 1962, one day, I went in, and they're building this receiver. And I'm going, Carl, Carl Mosley, I said, what are you doing? Well, he said a guy came in here. He works at, at uh, the aircraft company, which was... McDonald across the field from mm -hmm. uh, airfield from Mosley and he had this receiver built W0BD and I bought the design and so Mosley built that receiver and uh, I had to have one and I bought it right away well I didn't use it for a long time but when I started getting back into things especially AM I discovered it was a marvelous AM receiver and uh, that's what I use every morning, and I'm really thrilled about having it. It, it works so well. And that's the man that designed it, W0BD. I visited with him many, many times, and he passed away a couple years ago. 
But yeah. uh, these are guys that really had a lot of things that guided amateur radio. One of the other things I had in the early day, and you probably did too, was one of these, the Gonset Communicator. Oh, yeah. 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 And um, I came home from school one day. This was about six months after I had my ticket. And one of my high school chums that got me into ham radio, he was a mile down the road. When you bought a Gonset communicator, you got a whip that screwed onto the top of it. Mm. And it, it collapsed like the, you know, like the antennas on your car. You could uh, take it up to 54 inches. And we'd talk back and forth with our communicators. I ran home from school one day, and uh, I didn't pay attention. I call, I turned it on. I was going to call George, and I'm, and the band is just wide open. And this guy's calling. It's CO2ZX. I'm going, where is that? What is going on? It mm. was Havana, Cuba. Mm. Oh, my gracious. Mm-hmm. So I... I just quickly called him. I was so nervous about it. And he came back. There's the proof right there. And I ended the, the conversation, the QSO. I sat back and took a breath. I forgot to put the outside antenna. I worked him on a 54-inch antenna yeah. in my house. That's how wide open six meters were it was used, in those days. It used Amazing. to get like that. It's called the Miracle Band, and uh, it didn't take much of an antenna, man, to talk places. That's that's for sure. When it's open. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I dearly love six. Yeah. Well, Bob, Bob, I got yeah, go to tell you. Go ahead, Tom. No, go ahead, Glenn. I was going to say, Bob, I got to tell you, I love it when you speak. I always learn something new. Um, but you said something along here that really hit home to me because I was uh, benefited the same way when I started up, and that's the mentors that we had. I was blessed with a whole series of mentors, and it sounds like you had absolutely just a whole bunch of wonderful mentors. and That seems to be going by the wayside as well for a large part. Sad. I uh, I was on the air with my Harvey Wells on AM uh, six meters. Uh, about a week after I was on, uh, there's the station. That's it. That was it. About a week after I'm on, I'm tuning around on the SX99. I'm I'm a young kid. I knew nothing little about it. That big box you see that was a six and two converter, by the way, and the Harvey Wells. And I heard this terrible signal. It was so distorted. What is wrong with this guy? Next night I come back. He's he's around that same frequency. What is going on? So I got up the nerve to call him. And he came back. He was so thrilled. I had pushed the BFO button because I hadn't done that before. He was on single sideband on six meters. Mm. And so I was so he was happy because he said nobody comes back to me. They all think I'm distorted. So we started talking, and every night I was 50 miles from him. He was in St. Louis. I'm in Marissa, 50 miles away, and I he'd come on. And, I want to adjust this now. Tell me if it's better or bad, whatever. Well, one of the nights he said, uh, I told him, I said, well, you know, I come into St. Louis. And I, I I play the organ at the Fox, and um, I said I'd I, I got some time because what we did in those days 
we would play for uh, uh, eight minutes, and then the movie started, and we'd have a couple of hours at least. He said, well, come and see me, and he gave me the address. I'm 15 years old. I had a license to drive at the age of 15. I, it was a drive-to-work license. Mm -hmm. So I roll up in front of that address, and it says KMOX Radio. That's the 50KW CBS station. I go in, and there's a secretary or a receptionist. I, I, little scared kid you know and she said can i help you and i said I'm, i want to talk to larry and she said well i i have several larry's i said he's a ham radio oh you want larry burrows out comes this guy in a three-piece suit he was the chief engineer of cbs kmox and he took me under his wing and i said well, during that meeting, I said, would you build me one of those sideband rigs? No, I can't do that. But I'm going to teach you how. And uh, so I went back to Walter Ash with a laundry list of all the things. And uh, within about six months, I was on six-meter sideband, thanks to Larry Burroughs. And that really started it for me. He was a great mentor. And then, you know, there are so many others. As you said, you know, that uh, Paul the Clips thing was out, just outrageous when you think about him, what he did, and coming to see me. <laughs> Why me? He was intrigued. He'd, he'd never seen a kilowatt. And then when he saw 6,000 of them and had a big pile of amplifiers. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, ham radio is really where it all started and it hasn't ended i'm just beginning don't forget that i have not retired go out and do that rumor let everybody know i am <laughs> not dead i'm not retired and i still have my soldering iron handy yes i do yes well, Bob, just just one final question here for me uh did you uh did you just go directly into a tech license first or did you get a novice license Oh, I got a novice license, and I, I immediately the next week uh, took the technician license. Okay. I did learn the code a little bit, uh, enough to pass that. And then, of course, uh, in later years, I, I I was terrible at it, but I got enough to pass my uh, my other license. But yeah. I, I am not a CW expert or even operator well i'm not either but you know cw does have its place and that yes. was some fun days back in the early 60s as a novice uh, when that's all we could do uh, cw uh, yeah. cw was fun back then and uh, that's kind of my start in ham radio i'm not a cw person now but you know it's like riding a bicycle you, you learn it you kind of always remember it, you know yeah you know it all ended up for me and i was Incredibly honored. Uh, Heil Sound is the only manufacturer in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Those are some of the, the equipment we built. That mixer I'm standing in front of is the mixer we built for the Who for Quadrophenia. It's a quad mixer, so we could have four corners of an arena and move it around. And the back side of that is ZZ Top's mixer and monitors and the talk box and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, we we went on from there, and but uh, that was quite an honorable thing for me. 
in those days. And look, look at this mobile rig. Was that your mobile rig? Yep. That's a 1956 Thunderbird that I totally restored in 1972. Uh, body off and all that and it was my everyday car for many years and i had a 1956 kwm1 in it oh, and uh, we had a lot of fun with that <laughs> oh man those are all yeah. fun things. cool yeah. cool yeah yeah, well, yeah was yeah. that a mobile was it, is that a mobile that is that's a wonderful little rig extremely rare what is that a convertible one of my mentors gave that to me. Runs five watts with a pair of six AQ fives, oh. and it's AM, of course. I use it every once in a while on the AM nets. Yeah. You'd be amazed what you can do with just five or ten watts, and people people forget that. Uh, that's that's kind of a well, sad you've, thing. You've been involved in so many things, and I would like to just mention everybody if you if you would like to get back into building and get into it with some tubes like we used to back in the sixties. Hey, try Bob's uh, pine board. Uh, what do you call this, Bob? The pine board? Yeah, the pine board project. Go project. to the website, HeilSound.com, yeah. and you'll see in there, or you can do a search on pine board, and you'll see all the videos and the pages and the schematics and all of that. So we've had over a 1,000 people, and the reason we know that is that Antique Electric Supply makes the kits for me. Oh, yeah. And you can buy all the pieces and parts. And W4IQN, look at that. He was a graphic artist, retired, beautiful drawings. And so that you don't even need to read a schematic to do it. Yeah, well, but, the uh, board project the is a great project. Yeah, people are there. And it's easy to build, and yeah. it's, it's, it's simple to build. A lot of this is in my handbook. My yeah. handbook is available on our website, Ohio Ham Radio Handbook. And... Uh, there's a lot to learn there, and uh, and uh, we've got some other things happening on the website, but uh, the book is there. All right, Bob. Hey, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I know you've got to go, and, uh, man, we appreciate the time you can spend with us tonight. We always learn a lot, and I love talking about the, the stuff. Well, give me a subject. We'll come back and just do on that subject got a th whole thing on antennas oh my yeah. goodness all right well i uh hope you guys have enjoyed the uh, discussion here with bob uh he's a boy a neat guy he knows his stuff and he's done it all hey i want to thank everybody for being with us tonight uh hopefully you enjoyed the show tonight uh i wasn't sure we'd even have a show tonight because of my eye surgery um, you know, another week I've got another eye surgery coming up, but we're going to keep, we're going to try to continue to have the shows. And if I can get help from you guys, if you have any topics or anything you'd like to present, email me. That'll really help me to, um, you know, get some content on here. So, save me threes. Good night to everybody. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you uh, next week. And Glenn, you still there? Oh, yeah. yeah All right. Any, any last words? Bob. No, not anything right now other than, you know, now it's time for me to start playing in the lab and thinking up new stuff, but always love listening to Bob. Yeah. So that's yep. just wonderful. He's uh he's been a great supporter of our show for 20 years and uh, a great friend and uh I know Bob is going through some health issues right now. He's in I think rehab right now. Uh and hopefully uh he's getting stronger and he'll be coming out here real soon. 
Good night to everybody at 73, everybody, and we'll see you next week. And uh, uh, thanks so much for being with us. Good night.